What is the Podcast of Matrix? The Podcast of Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Welcome to the Animal Academy podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews, and you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy Podcast. When I think of my own health and wellness, I also realize the importance of taking care of my dogs to avoid injury and promote health. This is very important when our animals are actively involved in sports or competitions, but is also very important in order to maintain their overall health and quality of life. Years ago, when my dogs faced sports-related injuries, I learned a hard lesson about the need for regular conditioning that could have prevented some of their injuries. I actually thought they were in good shape since they weren't overweight and in good health, but they weren't always in good condition. I'm excited to introduce our guest during this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. We will discuss the importance of conditioning and some of the questions frequently asked. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Connie Schulte, who has her doctorate in physical therapy from Creighton University and is certified in canine rehabilitation from the University of Tennessee's College of Veterinary Medicine. She is also certified in canine massage. I'm excited to be able to have this discussion with Dr. Connie Schulte. Connie, welcome to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm excited about having this conversation with you, Connie, but I'm kind of interested to find out what made you want to treat animals in addition to your practice in human physical therapy. You know how sometimes things are just meant to be and meant to happen at just the right time? I was at a seminar learning how to do my human skills better, and I had a shirt on with a dog on it, and one of the other people at the seminar said, oh, there's a course out on therapy on dogs. You should probably go to that. I looked it up, and that was kind of how it all started, just by, you know, a a statement being made by somebody that I didn't even really know. Then as I went through the program, I was in on the beginning of the classes, so they would develop a course, and then I would take it, and then, you know, a few months later, they would develop the next course, and I would take it. So it took a little longer to get through the program. But this was all happening right when healthcare was changing a lot. Jobs for physical therapists were not out there and readily available like they had been previously. Mm-hmm. And I was in middle management, which is always the level that just goes away when there's going to be cutbacks. So I thought it was a perfect time for me to make my hobby my job. That's always what I'd heard made everybody happy at their job was when you do what you love. I had no idea that that's how you got started. How did you become certified in canine rehabilitation? What was that program like? 
I went to the University of Tennessee, and that was a course at a time back then. But now they have it all, so you can do a lot of the stuff online. And then you go down to Tennessee, and I think they usually have it in Knoxville, and do some in-person classes and then meet other people that are doing what you're doing. And they also have a really nice thing right now, which is called like their quick study. And Mm -hmm. you can go down for like two weeks straight and do all the courses at one time. So since I have done this, there's also been another school come out that does this, and it's Canine Rehabilitation Institute. And that is hooked up with the University of Colorado. Okay. And they have a very similar kind of program with it being online and also some of it in person. So for our listeners who may not know what canine rehabilitation is, why would animals even need therapy or rehabilitation? You know, it's interesting that you you would ask that because that's that's often what people think when their veterinarian suggests that they have that after a pet's injury or something, it's they've never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. And I'm amazed because I've been doing this for 20 years and there are still people out there that did not know that it was even possible. Animals get injured and get old and have all the things that people have And we always want to do what we can best for our pet. So that's kind of how pet rehabilitation developed, is just people being willing to do more for their animals. It's also allowing our animals to live a longer quality of life, right? Yes, that is so true. A lot of what I see are older pets and Not only do they live longer, but they live comfortably longer and can do a lot more for themselves for a long time. Is there a common diagnosis or issue that you tend to treat? The number one injury in a dog is a cranial cruciate ligament tear. Mm -hmm. So I do see a lot of that. And I can see those dogs that injured the ligament but did not have surgery And I also see those that injured the ligament and chose to have surgery. That would be the most common one just because it's the most common thing that happens to dogs. And as I said before, the majority of what I treat are elderly pets or pets that are struggling with getting up and down from the ground or can't climb the stairs as well as they used to. What I've noticed too, Connie, is that there are so many assistive devices to help older dogs, which I've had to use in the past too. So there are a lot more options now that are available instead of having to say goodbye to your older pet, right? Yes, yes. There are new adaptive devices coming out every week. It's very hard to stay up with them. With adaptive devices, some work better on Some pets, like let's say a sling for their rear end, there's just like a regular sling, there's a bottoms up, there's a help them up harness, there's a variety of different ways to do it, and some may work better for you or your pet than others. 
So it's kind of hard to just look online and think, oh, I need that one. Where that's where if you know someone that does what I do, we've often had experience with a lot of those different devices and can give recommendations as to what might work best for you and why. And that's a very, very important question that I had when my dog had an injury. For example, you know Charity, my golden retriever, was unable to walk Mm -hmm. after a surgery. So I drove what was it, four, four and a half hours to your office, and you helped develop exercises, including the indoor, I actually have videos of that. You use your indoor pool to strengthen her legs, and you also set up Cavaletti jumps, you know, just the short jumps in order to gain better proprioception, I think, as well as taught me how to do some massage. Are those Mm -hmm. normal things that you help people with? Yes, those are all very good things to do. At the time that I was treating your pet, I did work at a facility that had a pool, and now I work somewhere where we have the underwater treadmill, which mm-hmm. is what I would use if I were to treat her today. Mm-hmm. There, there are pluses and minuses to both of them. It was a long process, though, and I talked in a previous podcast about how I was given various options to either do surgery or to do rehabilitation. And I chose to do rehabilitation for a number of different reasons. And I'm really glad that I chose that. With more and more people running with their dogs, even when their dogs are in the backyard chasing a squirrel, they don't even have to be doing agility competition. It could be just chasing a squirrel, turning, and all of a sudden you got an injury, right? Are those similar things that you see? I see a fair number of agility dogs, and I educate all of them that their backyard is more dangerous than what they do either in class or when they're at an agility trial. Unless your dog has an an out-and-out injury when they're running agility, such as crashing the triple or doing a fly-off on the A-frame, they don't often have an injury occur during agility. Now, it might show up then, mm-hmm. but oftentimes the real culprit was chasing the ball in the backyard, chasing the squirrels, fence running with the neighbor dogs, all of those things that dogs really probably should not do. Mm-hmm. And that is probably what happened to my dog Charity when she had a torn tendon. It showed up the last jump in agility, but in looking back, She had also pulled up a little bit lame when doing the broad jump in obedience. But even prior to that, she jumped off of a table, her grooming table. And so I think it was maybe, she wasn't limping after that, but it was a buildup of uh, certain injuries that occurred, which all of a sudden, ah, she pulled up lame in agility. Right, right. That that jump in agility was just the straw that broke the camel's back, Mm -hmm. not something else where she had probably had her first minor strain with the grooming table. Mm -hmm. And you remember my golden retriever, Chip, who had a torn, (laughs) he had a torn iliopsoas, and I'm really proud of myself for actually saying that correctly. I think I did. You did. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Muscle uh, from jumping, which required different exercises and treatment. Do you develop individualized plans depending on each animal's unique injuries? You know, I do, 
And even the same diagnosis can have to have a different treatment plan. You mentioned iliopsoas, and I do see a lot of iliopsoas injuries. That's an injury you always consider when you're seeing an agility dog, although I do also see them in just pet dogs that play in the backyard and slipped on the wet leaves or something. But the injury can be different based on the dog, and I can give you a a very good example of that. I have recently seen two pets that had iliopsoas injuries, and one happened on Christmas Day since running. I was able to see that pet the next day. She ended up seeing me three times and was back to agility within six to eight weeks. Oh, my goodness. Then I, yes, it, it was a very quick return. But she also got in for treatment right away. And it's a lower drive dog, so she wasn't crazy in her off time. Mm-hmm. Then the other pet I'm seeing, we are struggling to get back to trialing because he's so high energy that every time we say, okay, you can run or, okay, let's start jumping, he immediately flares himself up again. So that one has taken a long time with lots of she will go practice and take video and then send me the video and we analyze it to see, you know, if there's an issue and is it really a pain-related issue. They can be very different even with the same diagnosis. What comes to mind, Connie, is when you have so much time, and I'm going to speak for myself here, when I had so much time invested in training my dog, and all of a sudden they come up lame and not able to jump and put all this work into something, and your dog really, really lives to jump and to do agility or any kind of performance event, it is heartbreaking to have to take time off. But also, I just want to emphasize that rehabilitation can happen, right? You just have to stop, and you have to be fair to yourself and the dog. Yes, it can happen. And oftentimes, performance issues are really an injury that has not been diagnosed. For instance, if a dog gets to the weep holes and they're sniffing around, and that is kind of a chronic problem, Mm -hmm. it is more likely, or from my point of view, I would be looking for what might be painful for that pet to do during the weed pulls. I feel like the entire people that train their dogs to do any kind of performance are so much more aware of potential injuries that might be causing a problem in performance rather than just feeling like their dog isn't getting it or their pet is being stupid or any of those things that in the olden days, that's what we just assumed, that our dog was just not going to do what we ask him. Mm-hmm. I was told quite a few years ago that to really pay attention to when my dog gets up from sleeping or coming out of his kennel, because that's an indicator of possibly having to look into helping them or getting some rehab. Do you believe that to be true? I do. I like to teach, watch your dog for what is normal. And anytime you see something that is abnormal, 
then you probably need to have it checked out. That could be just walking, how they sit down and get up, or if they're avoiding something. If you've got something out of line, then you probably need to have it checked out. Also along that line is if you feel there is an issue, there is very likely an issue. I had a very interesting case recently of a dog that would no longer sit. And I found some hip pain and we worked on that. He'd seen a chiropractor and had his back adjusted. And we were working on exercises and we were much, much better, but it wasn't gone. He would only hold a sit for 15 to 20 seconds. And this this pet knew how to sit. The owner came in and said, I just feel like there's something wrong. I don't know if it's internally, but I've noticed that my pet has to go out and go to the bathroom whenever I work on sits and that they had noticed some change in bowels as well. Well, they went to the vet and fortunately she listened very closely to them and she felt like perhaps the bladder was inflamed and wanted to try an anti-inflammatory. Within 24 hours, the pet was no longer having the urge to have to run outside as soon as they were doing exercises and they were able to hold their sits much better. So we're That's still, amazing. this is a fairly new case, so I don't know how it's going to ultimately come out, but this was a person that just knew that we were missing something. That's an important thing to think about, too, is to trust your instincts and don't think that, oh, this is kind of silly. I don't want to bother my veterinarian. I've always told my veterinarian, look, I just want you to check this out for my own peace of mind and to make sure that it's not something I need to deal with right now. And that has always served me well and my dog well. Yes, it's sometimes as animal owners, we are so in tune with our pets that, you know, we can look in their eyes and go, oh, you don't feel good today. Mm -hmm. We've had so much content here with Dr. Connie Schulte, who is here to speak with us about canine rehabilitation and how to condition our animals to prevent injuries. Let's take a short break. You're probably already editing your own podcast. You may be editing other people's podcasts. Ever thought of making even more money editing podcasts? EditorCore.com is looking for a few good editors to edit podcasts inside of the EditorCore.com effort. Take the experience, skills, and knowledge you've collected over the years as you edit podcasts and embiggen your wallet and or purse. It's time to start monetizing the process of editing podcasts. Make your way to EditorCore.com. Help us make podcasts soar at the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Do you like what you're hearing during this episode of the Animal Academy podcast? If so, consider having your business, organization, or effort connect with me to see how you can sponsor or be featured inside this podcast. Visit my website over at AnimalAcademyPodcast.com and let's have a conversation. Thought about a career in voiceover? 
Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Connie Schulte, and you are listening to the Animal Academy podcast. So, Connie, are there certain exercises that we can do with our animals to prevent an injury? So, the best advice for injury prevention is not really an exercise, but it is to be at a correct weight and stay active. And again, that relates right back to people. And we can eliminate a lot of our diseases that happen or aches and pains and all of that if we just stay at a good weight and stay active. There are exercises that can be done. Range of motion is always a good one. And that is just, you know, stretching your dog's arm forward and back and their leg forward and back. And you do it on both sides. And this I can actually relate back to knowing what's normal. If you have done that with your dog since it was a puppy and you taught them to let you do that, then you can find out early on if you have a potential injury because, you know, they used to let me stretch their arm out and now they won't. What might be causing that? An interesting little tidbit is that When dogs get old, they lose hip extension first. So that's the hip going, you know, the foot going backwards behind them. Mm -hmm. Range of motion will help with that. But sit to stand is another good thing to work on. When a dog sits and stands up, they're working those leg muscles. And older dogs, if you've ever noticed, they don't tend to sit very long. They will sit down and immediately go into a lying position and then often have time trouble getting out of the lying position. Mm-hmm. But a sit is no longer comfortable mm-hmm. when they get older. Yeah, I noticed I had that issue with uh, Charity. And also Chip, when he was um, no, he was probably about 12 years old when I noticed that he liked to just lie down a lot of the time. And it seems like it just comes on overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that comes to mind, Connie, is I was just thinking about puppies and puppy training, and I used to really like to teach my dogs tricks, like high five and Mm -hmm. how to do the prey for food, and I used a clicker, and I think that's when I first met you, actually, or maybe I met you, well, I'm going to go into that story because I think that's a story that needs to be told, but uh, we took a clicker training class together when Chip was a puppy, I believe, and taught him how to do some of the high fives and waves and do you believe in some of those tricks? I really like trick training and I like it because it's fun and the pets can't really be wrong when they're doing it. When I get a pet in for treatment that has been taught how to offer behaviors or taught not to be afraid of doing new things or even if it's being lured into it, it just makes my job so much easier because I have something to work with. 
I'm a big fan of clicker training, and I use that information you and I got from that course all the time. It's such a positive way to train our dogs. I remember when my niece and nephew were really young, they had a golden retriever, and I said, would you like to teach your dog a trick so when your parents get home, you can show them what you did? It took about 10 minutes to get that puppy to learn how to do a high five. I thought that was the coolest thing. You just have to have patience with it, and it really, really works. And I have found that my dogs that I clicker train think where my dogs that I have lured or even just activities that I have lured, even if, you know, I may have clicked some things but lured others. When it's a lured behavior, they often wait for the lure where when I'm going to click, they start offering well, offer things I don't even want, but whatever <laughs> it takes to get that cookie. Mm-hmm. Connie, I want to share just a brief story and then ask you a question related to it, if that's okay. Um, okay. This was many years ago, and I didn't know who you were. And I was having um, a seminar with Sandy Gantz. We were bringing in two presenters, and we were so excited about having this seminar on the structure of animals and what to look for when we're choosing an animal for agility, confirmation, obedience, because we wanted to start out at eight weeks or seven weeks knowing if this dog structure was going to be okay to then show them in one of those performance events. We had everything planned. We had the two litters of puppies chosen. And, you know, we had to have those puppies available at seven weeks of age for the valuation. So it took an extreme amount of work. We had so many people wanting to attend this seminar. And at the last minute, one of the presenters had to, due to an emergency, cancel. So I spent hours, and I don't think I slept all week, trying to find somebody to take her place. And somebody mentioned your name. I gave you a call, and you said, yeah, I'll do it. Oh, my gosh, that was such a relief. Ooh, I just can't even, I will be thanking you for the rest of my life for that weekend because it really was a a wonderful presentation and you jumped in with the other presenter, you evaluated a lot of the dogs and then afterwards you continued to come back to St. Louis and and work with some of our local dogs and and dogs that were traveling from out of town that needed a warm-up before an agility trial and a cool-down. But I, I just had to formally thank you for uh, jumping in and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I will do that to help you guys out. You know, that was a really fun time. And I will share with you that I really don't like public speaking. So to agree to get up in front of a bunch of people I don't know with a, another presenter who was very well known was pretty darn scary. But your group was so welcoming And it turned out to be really fun and was really a change in the direction of my career, opening up a lot more experience with athletes. And when I think back on it, I can't believe that I made that trip to St. Louis as often as I did. (laughs) I'm just glad I was as young as I was, or I don't know that I would be able to do it now. But I really thank you for that opportunity. And and I guess that goes along with my thinking about, like, how I got into this. You know, that's just one of those things that just happens, and it just points you in the right direction. 
And you let go of your fear of public speaking to say, yes, I think I'll do that. That oh, led no, you to... I still have that fear. Do you... <laughs> <laughs> that fear is still still there. I just apparently don't know how to say no. So I, <laughs> I do speak fairly often in front of large groups. You just dive in and do it anyway. Well, and we didn't notice that fear at all. But <laughs> afterwards... You know, you did make those frequent trips to St. Louis, and you saw my dogs as well as many other dogs and would spend the weekend doing evaluations and assessments. And then I would get a formalized treatment plan in the mail saying, this is what you need to do to help your dog recover from the injury or keep your dog in condition. I really appreciated that. Yes, that was a very fun time. I really enjoyed doing a lot of that. I had kind of gotten out of the conditioning with athletes and have really been working more with injuries. But I do have a few people that I've known for a long time. And when they get a new puppy, they bring it to me and we assess it and get a baseline for where it's at. And they're usually 16, 18 months old at this time because they want to know if they've got any weak areas and also where they're at when they're starting. So should that pet get any injuries, we would know because we know where they were at when they were uninjured. And then they'll also bring that pet back in, let's say, every six months for me to just assess and make sure they're on the right plan. I am starting to get back into conditioning right now, and I've just signed up to do a conditioning class myself for my pets. And I hope to take what I learn in it and be able to share it with my clients as well. Oh, we look forward to that, Connie. What kind of dogs do you have? I have Norwegian elk hounds. I have had them since, oh my gosh, 1987. I first just had a pet and it would not come in when I called it from the backyard and someone just suggested obedience. Mm -hmm. So I got started in obedience and put a CD on him and then when I needed to get another dog, I actually got one that was from breeders that do confirmation, and they just told me, well, try confirmation, see what you like it, and I was able to get championship on that pet and also a CDX, and I tried some tracking in there, but it was actually my next pet that was able to get a tracking title and did a lot of rally with some of them, and then the agility bug hit me, and um, that's a very strong addiction (laughs) that you just kind of live in that world when you start doing agility. The thing I find now, though, is that a lot of people are doing tricks and conditioning with their dogs rather than just thinking their skills the skills that you practice to make sure your dog can jump and Mm -hmm. jump from the back and do all of those things, that those are not enough to keep your pet in good shape. That's wonderful advice. I was talking to Sandy Gans in the last episode, you know, about versatility and the importance of cross-training. And I would think that goes well with just teaching your dogs different fun tricks, you know, for all these different venues to keep them sharp right? And enjoying it? Yes. And the nice thing with trick training, conditioning, exercises, 
again, there is not really, once you teach it, there's not really a right or wrong. So the treats come a little more frequently than when you're, let's say, training obedience or training agility, rally. Pets really like it because it's heavily rewarded. Mm -hmm. And your dogs always seem so happy in the ring, Connie. So I know that you do a lot of work with them in a positive way. Yes, I am. I, I like the relationship that you develop with dogs, and that just seems to work out best if we work together on that rather than me being the bossy one. Mm-hmm. I like them to want to do things. Mm-hmm. So, in your work, Connie, do you also treat other animals besides dogs? Sometimes. I have had a whole bunch which is really just several, cats in lately. Mm -hmm. I work at a veterinary specialty clinic, and I treated one of the surgeon's cats who had had a cruciate injury. And then that kind of opened their eyes to, wow, I should be referring more cats. So I've seen them for a whole variety of things, and I have been very blessed that every cat was a good cat. Mm-hmm. I do not own cats, but fortunately I work with girls that do, so they're good at handling them, and I just have to do the therapy portion of things. Getting a cat in the underwater treadmill oh my gosh. can be very entertaining. Yeah. And, you know, with dogs, we typically start off with three to five minutes, and we'll build up to them going in there for 20 minutes with a cat. You start off with five minutes, and then it goes to three, and then it goes to one, <laughs> and then they don't they don't get in there anymore. <laughs> it, it does open your eyes to another way of doing things. I have also treated some rabbits and um, a goat. Really? Yes. The goat had some back leg issues, and we actually put it in a help them up harness, and taught the owner some exercises to do, and I only I only had to see it once, but she was able to work him out of the, it was a developmental problem mm-hmm. from birth, and she was able to work him out of that and get him so he could walk on his own. That's awesome. Yeah, there are therapists that do, you know, work with the zoo or work mm-hmm. with some of the other things. People that are able to think outside the box really well. I think at the zoo, going back to our discussion about clicker training, I think they really work with a clicker with zoo animals is what I've heard. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's probably any other way. Mm -hmm. So another question I have, Connie, is is therapy provided in somebody's home or do they have to bring their pets in to the animal hospital? So where I work, you have to bring your pets in. But I don't know that that's true everywhere. In the, I am in the state of Kansas, and mm-hmm. therapy has to be provided in a veterinary premises. So you would want to look at the Veterinary Practice Act, and if you were a physical therapist doing that. So if it was a veterinarian that was doing rehab, they would absolutely be able to go into the home and do that. I know in Illinois, there is a physical therapist that has done a lot of home health and has really built a business around that. So it really state, you know, you have to look at your state laws to know what is okay. Okay. 
If people want to contact you, is there a best way to reach you? So probably my email would be the easiest way, and that is going to be Connie at K9BodyWork.com, and that's the letter K, the number nine, okay. and Body Work. We can put that in our show notes. That'd be great. Okay. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? This has been a great discussion, Connie. I've really enjoyed it. This has been very fun, and it's been nice to chat with you again. I guess the thing that I would like that we haven't talked on is that it's really a growing field to do rehab, and there is probably not an area that we can't be helpful at, starting as early as assessing litters to see how well they do, Mm -hmm. and then maybe appointments along the way as your pet grows, and especially as they get into those senior years, you know, the veterinarians consider seven a senior, and we're still Mm. thinking that those are our youngsters. So getting them early, and then with older dogs, we can help with congenital problems. If you're in the confirmation ring and your dog has something that's maybe not quite right. We can often come up with exercises to help with that. One of my dogs threw their front end and did not do very well. And when she would stand, she was kind of easty-westy. And I was able to set up a whole line of Cavalettis and trot her through them. Well, in Cavalettis, she could not throw her front. So I just had to work that, getting the muscle memory Mm -hmm. to then teach her that, well, this is how you trot, not the way your body seems to think it should. Mm -hmm. But there's just a lot of areas that, you know, a therapist could be asked, could you help me with this at all? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the litter of puppies, and that takes us back to what we talked about with the seminar and the puppy evaluation. And I learned so much that weekend because I didn't realize that when you pick out a puppy, it really depends on their, their own structure and whether they're going to break down, so to speak, if they're doing agility and jumping continuously, if maybe there's something with their structure that would be harmful over time. Yes. It can be very important to assess that in the beginning. So I will be bringing a new puppy in the future to see you, Connie. That would be awesome. That'll be fun. Another road trip. (laughs) Another golden retriever? Yes, possibly in my future. So I have never been without a golden retriever, and I just lost my 12-year-old golden three weeks ago. So so still at that point when uh, maybe in the future I'm going to have to think about another one. I'm just now thinking of one, but I have three that are very active right now. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm crazy to think of it, but I always feel like, Dogs learn best from dogs. Yes. At least the household, you know, mm-hmm. hey, it's time to go out. Hey, don't go in that room. Mm-hmm. We don't jump on furniture here, whatever. They just, the older dogs teach the younger dogs. Yes. You are so right. So, Connie, is there anything else? I cannot think of anything. Well, I, I have think we really. Covered a, a lot of stuff. I really want to thank you for joining me and sharing your knowledge. I've really appreciated it and enjoyed talking to you tonight. Thank you. It's been very fun. I've enjoyed it as well. In this episode, we've learned about animal rehabilitation, 
when it may be necessary, and ways to prevent injuries so our animals can live long and healthy lives. We've also learned fun ways to train our dogs using the clicker and learning true tricks of the trade. The best part, once again, as showcased inside the stories, is that we are the ones who end up learning from the animals. I can't wait to hear your feedback about this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, animalacademypodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy podcast.